to the Local Bar Podcast with your host, Chad Alexander. Come on in. We have a lot of friends we want you to meet. Well, hello there. From beautiful downtown Charlotte, North Carolina, this is the Local Bar. I am your host, Chad Alexander, and of all the places you could be, you've decided to start your New Year's off with us today. For that, we are incredibly grateful. How you doing? Local Bar can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, and all the other places you get your good podcast. Part of the Local Bar Media Network. Find out about this and other shows, localbarmedia.com is where you can go. If you want to email the show, chad at localbarmedia.com. If you want to support the show, you can go over to patreon.com slash localbar. There's where you can go and keep us loud, live, and independent and all that other kind of stuff. I uh, I don't know about you, but uh, <laughs> the, the New Year snuck up on me. This Wednesday thing, this thing with, with Christmas and New Year's being a Wednesday, it's this is this is just it's just too much for me. Uh, yeah, I woke up the other day on Tuesday on Thursday, you know, coming back from having the day off on Wednesday. I got no idea if it's Monday, but it, it's kind of cool because it's kind of like a Monday, but it's also Thursday. I just got used to writing nineteen on stuff. I swear, it's just the every year. The older I get, the more I sound like an old man. These these cliches just keep coming. Um, well, listen, I'm really happy to have you all here. I appreciate um, all that you uh, all that you've done over the past year, and we certainly have appreciated it. We've we've let's just get some some things right off the top. We obviously have had a a weird year this year. Um, a lot of ups and downs as far as the timing that we've had, as far as being able to get interviews out there and get shows out there. Um, and I and I've been very upset with the way things have gone. What what I'm what I'm very blessed to know though is that you guys have not faltered. I mean, our listenership is still what it's always been, and I think that's crazy. Because I don't think we've really been coming forward with a lot of stuff. Um, I'm not about to <laughs> announce some big <laughs> New Year's resolution here. Uh, I really just want to say thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. It's been a you know with the with the job that I've got and 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 what we're able to do now with the equipment we have on the road, like like I've got right now, and what we're going to be doing in studio and some things that are changing this year. I knew we were going to have some ups and downs and just, just with personal time too. Um, and so now it's a little bit more fluid of, a, of an arrangement and it's really nice, but I just want to say thank you to, to all of you that have hung in there while we've been doing this. It's, it's been wonderful to know that you are a part of us and, um, you really do, um, you, you really do want to be a part of, of what this show is offering, and, and that's really nice to see. Now, w- w- with saying that, I understand that people don't listen to the show every week. There are shows that go missing, and we're about to do a whole bunch of promotional stuff to start off the new year. So because of that, I wanted to pick up a couple of interviews that we had this past year that really meant a lot to me. And uh, I wanted to introduce those to you. Uh, the first one that I'm going to do is is actually uh, a guy that I just met. And I just met him right before we had the interview. 
Uh, I, I was uh, really surprised at how, when I asked him to be on the show, how quickly he jumped right on it, especially since he had a huge workload and a big tour that he was getting ready to go on. Now, I have found that since his podcast with me, uh, a lot more people know him, a lot more people follow him, and not because of the show. I would love to say that. It's probably due to Joe Rogan and those other guys he talked to after me, but uh, he is a guy that I think in a lot of ways exudes what this podcast is about. Uh, when I when I came across him on Twitter, um, one of the things that I liked about him instantly was his positive attitude towards things and, 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 and really towards self-help and self-guidance. Uh, I, I really appreciated his unabashed look at being accountable for your actions, uh, not only for your physical health, but for your mental health and spiritual health and found him an absolutely fascinating guy to talk to. Um, and so I, I want to start off with this one is one of my absolute favorite interviews, not just of the year, but that I've ever done uh, with my boy Zuby. And I'll talk to you right after this one. This week is uh, actually the, the second person I've had uh, from across the way uh, decide to come on to the show. It's actually a, a, a young man that I've been following uh, pretty closely over the past couple of months, and I've watched him go from someone who had quite a uh, quite a bit of followers uh, to someone who has exploded, who is getting ready to come over here to America. Uh, he's going to be on a bunch of shows and promote uh, his music, his book, uh, and a bunch of other things that he does. Uh, really nice, super ultra nice guy who's done some really incredible, amazing things lately. Zuby, Zuby, how you doing, man? I'm good, Chad. Thank you for the invite. Hey, thank you for being on. Now you, you've been uh, pretty busy lately, and we're gonna get into what you're going to be promoting and doing here for a little bit. But uh, you're a pretty damn accomplished rapper and uh, and an author as well. Um, I'm curious because I, I I really don't know the answer to this. Where did you get your start? Were, were you were you were you uh, publishing your own music first? Did you uh, write the book? Um, were you giving speeches and and being like a health coach somewhere? Where exactly did you get started? Okay, well, uh, no, it all started out with just the music. I started rapping in two thousand and six when I was in university. I was studying computer science at Oxford University here in the UK. And I started rapping when I was in my very first year, and I released my first album when I was in my second year of university. I graduated, moved to London, worked uh, worked a sort of white-collar job in London for about three years. And then in 2011, towards the end of it, November 2011, I took the plunge to go and pursue my music full-time. Since then, I've uh, released five albums and three EPs completely independently. Um, sold tens of thousands of albums off my own back and, uh, yeah, all the other stuff has sort of sprung up primarily in the past year. So I wrote and released my first fitness book, Strong Advice, just a few months ago. I've got the paperbacks for that coming soon. I've also been doing a little bit of public speaking. I've got something coming up this weekend here in London and, um, 
yeah, everything else. I started my podcast at the beginning of this year. So that's called Real Talk with Zuby. That began in January. I've done over 50 episodes already. So all of the other branches have been growing and building, but uh, the music is the core of everything. That's where it all started. You, um, that's that's pretty common. I mean, I think most rappers uh, come from the computer science department of Oxford. I, I think most <laughs> of the ones that I hear today, uh, that's kind of that's kind of where they get their start. What yeah, there are a lot of musicians that listen to the show. We've had quite a few on as well, and and one of the we we, we don't really talk about something you just brought up, and I'm I'm interested in it for a guy that's been so successful producing his own music in today's day and age the outlets are there i mean you could you can you can put your own music on youtube you can you can find ways to put your music out there through soundcloud and promote it but it seems like in a lot of ways while there's there's that ability to freely promote your music it's also very difficult to to find a foothold to where you really can brand and be successful so if you will with the uh, incredible ability there seems to be a farce that, that makes it very hard for you to go through. Other than the fact that you make very good music, don't get me wrong. It, it, that, I know that's an important part of it. How do you how do you navigate that, and how do you utilize that to not get lost in that forest while you're trying to promote your own music independently? Uh, that's a good question. Sometimes I feel like I'm still trying to work that out, not just in my music, but in everything. I mean, on the internet, it's easy to just get lost in stuff. But um, I mean, do you mean just standing out for myself as an as an artist? Is that what you mean, or uh, it, going from hey, I've got music with a lot of people um, looking at it on YouTube? Do I have people actually purchasing my music, and I'm oh, I'm actually okay. selling things now? Oh, okay. No, I started selling off the bat. So I released my first album when I was nineteen. And that was just straight physical CDs. That was prior oh, to the okay. time of iTunes and Spotify and all right. that other stuff. So I've been selling my music from the beginning. Um, in fact, I probably used to sell more music than I actively do now just because of the way how people consume music has changed over the years. So obviously a lot of people now were streaming. Prior to that, it was downloading. Um, but prior to that, it was all just totally physical. I was just shifting CDs, traveling around to different cities, talking to strangers, playing them my music, and people who liked it would buy it. So I sold thousands of CDs like that on the streets of the UK. Um, a couple of years ago, I also opened up a pop-up shop. So I ran that in about 10 different cities and different shopping malls here. And I would promote and sell my music and my merchandise as well. So yeah, my stuff has always been, in terms of sales, it's always been very much offline, real world, face-to-face -face activity. This year it's shifted a lot more online, especially with the advent of my book. But, um, and a lot of my audience now is in the US, whereas prior it was pretty much all in the UK. So that's kind of how I did it. So it wasn't really a transition to selling, but I was selling off, I was selling from the very beginning. Gotcha. All right, so so in that same vein, you know, here's, here's a guy that's going around going to different clubs and selling actual physical copies of a CD. So now you're doing it online, like you said. Uh, talk to me about the um, the relationship you have with your fans. 
when it's gone mm. from being that personal style to, hey, here's a CD, and you're thanking them as they're handing you the money, and you're, you're appreciative, to where you have so many more people that are so interested, and you're able to talk to them in very broad strokes. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's probably a lot harder for you to have that personal connection, uh, even though we, I, I know it, it, it seems like from your, your Twitter feed that you really do try. Uh, how has that changed? What does that feel like to go from one to the other? I do try, man. I mean, all that's really changed to me is the volume. Um, in terms of having a, a connection with my fans, that's something that's really important to me, especially as an independent artist. I mean, fans and supporters are completely your lifeblood. So I don't have a, a label that's feeding me money. I don't have any big companies or investors that are just sort of pumping money into me to advertise and stuff like that. So it's really all about connection with the fans. And, you know, I'm a I'm a pretty extroverted guy. I like to connect with and meet new people all over the world, both in the real world and online. So my personality naturally sort of lend, lends myself to that. Yeah. So these days now, a lot of that will be through social media, Twitter primarily. I mean, my Twitter has been a godsend, to be honest with you. The amount of people who have discovered me through Twitter is incredible. More people have discovered me probably through Twitter than through my music directly. But a lot of them have gone on to become fans of my music and the other stuff that I do. So with me, it's always just about being I mean, I don't I don't have to think that hard about it. I'm a, I'm a down to earth person. And that will always be the case. Um, I hope someone can uh, remind me that I said that if I ever start getting <laughs> too big for my boots or anything like that. But no, but for real, I mean, I, I've been a growing public figure for over a decade now. So all that's happened is that more people know me. But apart from that, stuff doesn't change. You know, I'm still the same person. I'm probably even more authentic than I was previously just because I'm more solidified and comfortable in my own skin and my beliefs and you know the message that I'm trying to put out there and everything like that so yeah I just try to be who I don't try I just am me I'm just authentic I treat everybody like a human being Um, to me strangers are just friends that I haven't met yet I don't try to talk to people talk down to anybody I just talk to people on a level man whether they're more famous than me or, you know, less famous than me and they're fans of my music and whatever. It's just like, yo, it's cool. I mean, I always get messages and DMs and stuff. And sometimes, I mean, it's weird now because sometimes people actually freak out when I reply to them. Because they're always like, oh my gosh, I didn't think you were going to reply to me. Like, you know, and (laughs) it's like, yeah, man, of course. I mean, if you send me... If you send me something that's worth replying to, then I'll reply. Well, you should see what it's like to be a guy that's got a small podcast that says, hey, I'd like for you to be on the show. And you turn around like almost instantly and said, sure, (laughs) let's do it. That was was a great surprise for me. Uh, Talking about your Twitter feed, you know, one of the things that I think is funny about Twitter is I think it really, a lot of it depends on the... uh, the the circles that you follow in Twitter, and I think okay. a lot of times it can be a very negative place. And and you seem to have found it to be very positive, but it doesn't come without you having to uh, to put your foot in the ground. Uh, I see every now and then you'll pop up a couple of things. I saw something I believe from today, uh, just like a, a quick quote of it, something like I do not pick my friends based on their religious affiliation, political affiliation, or lack thereof. It's silly, and it would uh, it would make me somewhat of a bigot by definition. I've come across enough uh, terrible conservative theist and wonderful liberal atheist. And then there's another one. Ah, this was from the other day, I think. 
And I thought it was beautiful. It said, things I don't care about, your race, your sexuality, your religion, your nationality, or who you vote for. Things I do care about, your heart, your mind, your actions, your qualities, and your character. It's really not that complicated. I think what's really neat about you is that you know, here's a guy that's got a, a book that's very positive, and we'll get to that here in a second. Some music that's fantastic and, and really stands out and preaches what you what you like. Um, but you make sure to do that on your Twitter feed. It's like every now and then you throw like a character check out to folks. And, and, and I find that to be a very positive and uh, very um, comforting thing to, to see from someone who is continuing to gain in popularity. Is that something that you do for your fans? Do you do that sometimes for yourself? What when do you when is it that you look at it and you say, "Man, I need to put a message like this out there." Is it what is it that causes you to to feel that way? Just something that comes in your head or is it when you're seeing a lot of negativity to kind of steer what you have coming through your page? Um yeah, I mean, a lot of it is it's sort of all the above. So sometimes I write stuff as a I mean, I'm a creative person, so I constantly have words and lyrics flowing through my through my brain, which is why Twitter is such a good platform for me. Right. I'd much prefer it to things like Instagram or Facebook because my mind works very quickly and I've always just got these ideas and sort of revelations and inspirations and philosophical stuff sort of popping up in my brain or random questions. So I use Twitter as a medium to just put all that stuff out there. I mean, I love Twitter because I can post 100 times a day. And it doesn't bother people. Um, and I'm connected to so many different people that I know I can get a range of different responses if I've got a question. I mean, I posted a question this morning and over 1,200 people have responded to wow. it. Wow. Um, yeah. So it's it's incredibly powerful. And also, like you said, I mean, there's so much negativity out there. I mean, I follow quite a lot of political people, not a crazy number because if your whole timeline is flooded with it, then it can get a little bit tedious. But there's so much partisan nonsense and back and forth and trying to dunk on each other and trying to score points. And it gets, um, you know, sometimes I just kind of feel like not in an arrogant way, but sometimes I feel like the room needs an adult in it, you know, um, when people are getting all fired up about some identity politics nonsense or the latest outrage or whatever. I mean, you know, sometimes it can be interesting, but when it's just day in and day out and it's constant and you can just see people getting more heated up and more angry and more divided, I'm kind of like, you know what, it's important to remind people about some of these basic things. You know, that tweet that you just quoted to me, I would hope that both of those things would be pretty obvious and self-evident, but it seems like they're not in 2019 to a lot of people. Right. You know, saying that I don't care what race you are. I don't care what sex you are. I don't care what sexuality you are. I don't care if you vote red or blue, like all of that stuff. You know, we can (laughs) if it's interesting to someone, you know, it can be it can be talked about. But ultimately, that's just not that's not really how I look at the world. That's not how I judge people. That's not how I pick friends. That's not how, that's not what tells me if someone's a, a decent person or not. You know what I mean? Like it goes so much deeper than that. And human beings are so much more nuanced and profound than that, that it's sad to see people kind of falling back into this very primitive and childish way of just looking at each other based on some of these factors, many of which are immutable. Some of them, yeah, sure. You know, who you vote for is a choice. Your religion is a, is a choice somewhat, but, um, you know, people have different reasons for things and people have different perspectives and different ideas. And ultimately, that's what makes stuff 
interesting and it's ridiculous because you'll have people who are talking about how much they love and want and want to celebrate diversity but then as soon as someone has a slightly divergent view to them they become the most hostile and intolerant person and it's it's totally ridiculous like people just have these huge blind spots and hypocrisies and I can see them very very clearly I'm sure I have uh, some of my own hypocrisies no question we all do we all have blind spots whole idea of a blind spot is that you can't see it but um yeah, I just think it's important to have some sane voices out there who try to be reasonable, who try to talk to both sides, if you want to use that terminology and all that. So it wasn't necessarily my goal to set out and be that person or one of those people. You know, I was on Twitter initially just to promote and push my music, but um, I can do that and I can have an impact on people through my words in other ways too. So, you know, if that's the road that I'm sort of going down and that's what's needed in the world, then I'm happy to lend my voice to anything that I think helps to achieve a positive, uh, a net positive to the world. You, um, you, you also, I think could have a career as a stand-up comedian or probably writing <laughs> jokes for him. You, and because you have this level of honesty that I think in humor, a, a lot of folks are afraid, uh, afraid to, to, to face. And, it's, it's, it comes from, you know, just the idea of if I say the wrong thing, I don't want some backlash because I was just trying to be funny. You, you said something the other day, and I don't have the tweet in front of me, so I'm going to butcher this. But I absolutely, I spent probably 10 minutes forwarding it to other people and laughing, saying, this is, this is me. And it was something to the fact of, you know, I'll spend a lot of time talking about how I hate the talk about guns and drugs and misogyny and rap music while I'm oh, yeah. absolutely blasting it and rocking out to it in my car. <laughs> And I and I loved it. I was like, oh my! It's like the day that my daughters hear the music that I used to listen to in the '90s, they're going to wonder who in the hell their dad really is. But there is something <laughs> there is something about that that I thought was not only funny but brilliant and very telling in the world that we live in. That sometimes we can't help it. These are things that we do and, and things that we like, um, and we we just kind of find ourselves uh, sometimes being hypocritical. But it is it is the way that we live. But I thought that I thought that was really cool and very uh, very funny, but also very open that you could sit there and say a joke like that and not worry about some kind of pushback from fans that could live on either extreme. Yeah. Well, I think anyone who's you know come across come across me, whatever, whether that's someone who likes and agrees with me or someone who disagrees with me or thinks they don't like me or whatever. I just don't really, I'm at the stage where I don't really care about backlash. Like people oh. are always, no, I really don't care. Um, really? Now that, that's, that's interesting because you would think someone who, not that you just got started, but you hmm. really are built, I mean, we haven't talked about it yet. You're getting ready to come to the United States. You've got a lot of interviews. You've got a bunch of stuff. You're going to be on Joe Rogan's podcast. Now, I, I would like for Mr. Rogan to know that you are on mine first, and I and I, I hope that just off air you remind him of that. But, you know, you've, you've got – there's a lot that's going for you. I think most people would then turn around and be a little bit wary of that. But you're saying that you're less worried about that? Less worried, man, because that's what people like about me. That's, that's one of my, I don't want to say my weapons, but that's my, you know, a character trait that people both in the real world and people who I talk to online that I know they like and appreciate me about me. They know that I'm very honest and very frank and very authentic. They know that I'm not going to gas them up. I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to just do my best to tell the truth and 
if I have an opinion on something, I will give it. I don't care if I'm in a room of 200 people and I'm the only person with that opinion. I will give that opinion if people want it. Um, and I'll deal with whatever comes of that. If people want to disagree with me, that's fine. I've, I've had that before. I deal with it every day. Um, if someone wants to know where my views come from, then I'm happy to explain to the best of my ability. If someone wants to try to change my mind, I'm happy for them to try to change my mind. Um, I mean, that that's how we learn. I'm not afraid of being wrong. Um, I like to think that I'm certainly right more often than I am wrong, but the only way that I can be right on anything is by being wrong at some point back in the past and shifting my view in light of new facts and new information. I mean, that's, that's how we learn. So part of it is just a level of humility as well. But also I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ashamed or afraid of any of my beliefs. I mean, there's nothing that I believe in or that I think or that I have an opinion on that I'm afraid to say. I'm not someone who, I don't self-censor myself a lot. If someone asks me what my view is on something, even if I know that the, you know, popular narrative is one thing, I'm not going to just go along with it like a sheep because I think that's what's going to get me popularity points or because I don't want to rock the boat. I mean, I don't mind rocking the boat. Um, it's fine as long as I'm doing it to be true. I'm not, um, I'm not a provocateur. I don't go out of my way intentionally to be controversial. Sometimes I may say things that I know will be controversial, but I think that's just because the world is going weird, not because I'm wrong or because I'm saying anything super radical or crazy or anything like that. I don't think I have any beliefs that are that are crazy, but we're living in a time when just being honest and stating the truth and being authentic and really keeping it real is quite revolutionary. So as long as that's the case, that will serve me well. I, I'll let you go here in just a few minutes. There's there's a couple of things I want to ask you. Uh, before we get to the book, though, I want to point out something else. The other day I looked on your Twitter timeline and you were going around and you were bringing food to people. Uh, you have done something where uh, you've been taking uh, – boatloads of cash and putting that into helping people around your community can you can you explain a little bit about what that is i was a little lost when i saw it it looked it looked fantastic and amazing and it looked like it was being it was it was being uh pulled through very successfully but what was that that i I caught wind of on your twitter line yeah no problem so it was my birthday just uh two days ago Happy birthday, and, um, by the way. Yeah, I, thank you. Terrible goat, uh, host. I, I should have freaking told you that <laughs> as soon as you came on. I think I did tweet uh, you that, though. I, I'm going to take a little yeah, bit of did, credit there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was my birthday. Um, I'd kind of already done most of my celebration over the weekend, seeing my friends and family and stuff like that. Had a little bit of a party. And then on my actual birthday, which landed on a Monday, I didn't really have any super-duper set plans. So again, being a creative person, I was like, oh, I wonder, um, I don't really, I had a couple of people say, oh, what do you want for your birthday? And then I actually had a couple of people online saying, oh, do you, um, is there any way, you know, I actually had a couple of people DM me saying, oh, can I like contribute something for your birthday just as a, as a thank you kind of thing. So initially I thought it was like, okay, cool. Like I want to go get some ice cream later today so you can contribute to the Zuby ice cream fund. But, um. <laughs> I was quickly like, you know, and, and someone did. And then I was like, okay, cool. That one contribution is enough for ice cream. So let me uh, see. And, you know, I, I noticed that when I'm walking around my city, Southampton in the UK, I noticed that I do see quite a few, quite a few homeless people and people, you know, kind of not, not in a great situation. So I just figured, well, why don't I, um, you know, if people want to, why don't you chip in and every $4 or so you send me, um, buy somebody, 
lunch or get someone a drink or get someone a meal or something like that. So yeah, I, I took donations and we got a couple hundred dollars in there. Um, there's still a lot more that I'm going to do with it because I wasn't able to reach as many people as I wanted to in one day. So there's still some money there. But, um, yeah, I just went around to some homeless people, had a, had a little chat with them. Uh, there was one guy who I helped to pay for, pay for his shelter accommodation for a week. Um, another couple people who had just, you know, bought some sandwiches and drinks and stuff for, you know, just a simple way to give back. I mean, there's a lot of people who aren't, I, I, I'm very, very aware that I'm a, I'm a blessed person, you know, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate in many ways as most of us are. Um, but I'm totally aware that there are a lot of people out there sometimes pretty close to us geographically who aren't in that situation. So, you know, I was like, you know what, if I can make one person's day or week, uh, a little bit better and ease a tiny bit of that burden, you know, I can't, I can't do everything. I'm not, I'm not in that position yet. Then, uh, yeah, why don't we do it? And yeah, I don't, um, it's kind of weird for me to talk about cause I don't like to, I, I've got, I'm always in two minds about sort of publicizing charity. In some ways, I think that it's good to publicize it because I think it encourages other people to do the same and it's got that sort of positive effect. But also, I don't like the idea of, you know, doing charity in this age of social media just to get likes or views or something like that. That also kind of weirds me out. So I wanted to do it and let people know I was doing it, but not really make a huge song and dance about it in a way that would just be self-aggrandizing because I don't think that's the way charity should be done. It, I'm going to make some people mad with this last point. I mean, if, if, if it wasn't very, um, if you, if you weren't aware of how incredibly intelligent Zuby is, uh, how incredibly talented he is with his music, um, and how charitable he is and the good heart that he has and the positive energy that he exudes. I, I hate to tell you guys this, but my man is swole up so much that he would make my wife forget who Tyson Beckford is. You, you've been, <laughs> you've been, not only do you have all this other great stuff going with for you, you look like a freaking model walking around. I mean, yeah, it's, it's incredible. You've, you've written a book called strong advice and it, right. it talks about getting healthy. And one of the things that you mention a lot on your, on your Twitter page, and I assume has to be a part of your book as well. There's a lot of the excuses you, you tweeted something out, said to anyone who thinks I just have, quote, good genetics, I want you to know that I was overweight throughout my entire childhood. In fact, I weighed more at age 15 than I weigh now. No joke. Excuses are just excuses. When you're done with those, we can help you. As a, as, in a world where people eat up um, any kind of fitness or, or getting healthy, but, th but they don't follow through, you, you do seem to focus a lot on that, of helping people overcome that initial obstacle of getting over yourself and getting over your own obstacles that you throw in your way. It's very interesting that you talk about how you grew up. Where was that point for you where you got out of your own way and overcame your obstacles to decide you wanted to be the best looking, most charitable, most talented rapper to ever come out of Oxford? What, what, what was what was the thing for you that did that? Man, it's been it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I mean, in terms of getting in shape, that started out when I was in my mid teens. I started going to the gym when I was 50, when I was like 15 or 16 um, initially it started because I used to play rugby and so I just wanted to get in better shape and be physically stronger and bigger for rugby. And I took the bulking thing a little bit too far. So, you know, I did get, I did, did get stronger by age of 16. I, you know, I was a, I was a pretty strong dude, 
but um, I was definitely carrying a lot of excess body fat and wasn't necessarily in the great shape, you know, in in great shape and didn't have a super impressive physique beyond kind of being pretty strong for my age. So it's been a it's been a journey, you know, honing down the nutrition over the years and getting to a level where I'm just you know really know what I'm doing to the stage where I was able to write that book this year and just distill all the information, boil off all the nonsense and put out the book that I wish I someone had given me when I was 15. Really, that's what it is. It's a book that, um, you know, teaches people the fundamentals of what they need to know from mindset and motivation to diet and nutrition to training and exercise. Um, there's so much misinformation out there. There's so much superfluous information out there and so much nonsense and, you know, just jargon and whatnot. So I was like, all right, I just want to make something that's really simple not long, just concise, 100 pages, bang, this is what you need to know. Um, and the book is written the way the book is written the way that I tweet, you know, it's just very uh -huh. concise to the point. I'm not trying to, you know, gas things up or fabricate anything. It's just like, look, this matters. This doesn't matter. Do this, do this, don't do that. Um, and then give people a good amount of flexibility as well so that they actually understand the principles rather than just saying, okay, look, meal number one, eat this, meal number two, eat that, meal number, because that doesn't really help people because then they don't understand why it is they're eating that way. If it's a workout, they don't understand why they're training that way. I want people to understand the principles. This is how you build muscle. This is how you lose body fat. This is how you gain weight. This is what the actual process is. These are the numbers that you need to know, and this is how you can manipulate those numbers for your own body so that you can achieve your goals. And once you understand this stuff, you can do this for your entire life because I want to shift people from that short-term thinking to long-term thinking because as far as I'm concerned, you know, your health and your fitness and your body, I mean, you only get one body for your whole life. So I find it crazy how much time and effort people put into all this stuff that is replaceable or temporary, but then their own bodies, they completely neglect. And to me, that's just completely insane. Like, I don't know how you'll go out and spend a thousand dollars on clothing but you don't want to invest you know twenty dollars a month in a, in a gym membership or whatever the case may be i mean some people balk at the price of my book some people are like oh my gosh your book is 35 dollars and i'm like dude i mean <laughs> my the the value in there if someone had given me that book when i was 15 that book would have saved me literally over a thousand dollars oh i'm sure just yeah. Just in, in wasted time, wasted supplements, just buying nonsense. And, you know, so ultimately it's like, yeah, people just need to, <laughs> I suggest people, I'm, I'm big on investing in myself. I'm big on self-improvement and I'm huge on people fulfilling their potential, whether that's in the gym or out of it. So again, if I can encourage people to do that, then I think that's my way of making the world a better place. Last question I have for you. you. You tweeted something else out that I love that has to do with this, but but I want to ask it um, in a way that kind of encompasses everything that we've talked about. Uh, you said, I don't get why so many people think they have to do carnivore or vegan diets, weights or calisthenics, strength training or cardio. Why not be an omnivore who lifts weights, does calisthenics and cardio? That works too. People are drawn to unnecessary extremes. What's funny is I, I thought that that was extremely profound that people do that. But, you know, it seems like when I follow you on Twitter or, or anything else that we do, whether it's music, whether it's our politics, whether it's social issues or even it's our diet, 
people for some reason feel like they have to be defined by an extreme that that, that what they're doing isn't um isn't uh really hitting the mark like it's supposed to if it doesn't come from an extreme view number mm-hmm. one why do you think people are like that and and number two um where do you think that flaw is 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 worse is it is it in health is it in politics is it in our own mm. attitudes what does that what does that really eat at us the most that's a good question to answer the first part i think it's because people want to identify as or identify with something um i think that's a natural human desire and people want to be part of some type of tribe or group or a belief system or whatnot. That could be, that could obviously be a, a religion. It could be a family or some type of group or community. It could come down to something. It could come down to the way they eat. It could come down to the way they train. You know, you could have the CrossFit crew. You could have the bodybuilding crew, the powerlifting crew, the runner crew. Right? People like to be a part of something. So. Lots of runners or cyclists, for example, may look down, you know, look down their nose at weightlifting and, you know, they may say that, oh, strength training is silly or lifting weights is dumb or it's for meatheads or whatever. And then the people who like lifting weights will be looking at the runners and the cyclists and saying, oh, cardio is silly and cardio is a waste of time and cardio is for girls and, you know, all this, all this kind of stuff. And I, I get it in that part of people wanting to be part of a tribe. Um, and some of it can just be a little bit of fun, you know, a little bit of banter or whatever. Sure. But, um, yeah, but my, my, my point is just, you know, just stuff like that's not, not binary. I mean, when people are saying, oh, should I do calisthenics or weights? I'm like, do both, <laughs> right? You can do, you can do pull-ups and push-ups and also do squats and deadlifts and bench presses. Like it's not a, it's not either, or people often get caught into either or thinking, you know, are you this or are you that? And, you know, again, like I said earlier, human beings are very multifaceted. There aren't that many people who you can just get um, five or six qualities of them or even 10 qualities of them and think that tells you anything about them, which sort of loops back to why I think this whole idea of identity politics is really stupid because, you know, knowing somebody's race, gender and sexuality, for example, tells you absolutely nothing about them like nothing remotely interesting. Um, and it's just, it's just irrelevant. So people focus on this weird stuff. And again, that taps into the tribalism, but, um, I think people just need to kind of ascend beyond that. It's not something that necessarily you can, can, or should want to totally remove because it's not necessarily always a bad thing. Not at all. You know, it can be good to have some of that, um, team, mentality or, or, or tribal mentality at times. And it's certainly not always destructive, but when it sort of, um, manifests in a negative way, then yeah, that's a problem. So I've slightly gone off topic from that tweet, <laughs> but that's to give some wider context to it. Cause I think it loops back into what we were talking about earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, um, real quick here at the end, where can people find not only your music and your book, but what you're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, especially for the listeners here in the United States that that may want to keep up with what you're doing? Sure. So zubymusic.com is my main website. That is Z-U-B-Y music.com. 
You can get um, updates there and find out a little bit more about me and get links to all of my various work on there, including my podcast videos and events. If you want to get any merchandise, that is teamzuby.com, T-E-A-M-Z-U-B-Y music.com. You can get my book and my merchandise there. And then you can also follow me on social media at Zuby Music. Um, definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm also on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook as well, all at Zuby Music. All right. Well, listen, we are really looking forward to you coming over this way. Can't wait to see what all's going for you. I appreciate what you do and the message you put out there. You are one hell of a guy, and I'm very appreciative uh, that you took the time out of your incredibly busy schedule that you got going now. I look forward to seeing uh, all the other great things you're going to continue to do, man. And I, I appreciate you taking time, spreading your message here on the show today, and uh, really look forward to the success that's obviously coming to your future. Thanks again for being on the show. You're welcome, man. The devil walks the streets at night, shake, rattle, and roll. Devil walked the streets last night, a deleterious soul. A black shoes, suit and tie, you gotta see to believe. A rogue and bones, a crow life size, with nothing up his sleeve. Yes, answering that age old question if you wanted to get into rap. What do you need to do? Apparently, study computer science. Uh, I, 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 I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that conversation with Zuby. Uh, like I said on the, on the top, not only is he an incredibly nice guy, but um, I found him very positive and hopeful. The other day, he, he put something on Twitter, and he said uh, you know, he was astonished by how many more Twitter followers he'd had, how many more people were buying his book, uh, how many more people were listening and downloading his music. And, and he asked a simple question, you know, what have I done for you for this year? Just in a brief sentence, let me know. And it was it was uh, very easy for me. I, I told him that I enjoyed crossing paths with him because of how positive he is. But I also used the word hopeful. There's something about how hopeful he is and, and his words that he, he, he prints and what he says in his podcast, what he what he what he even raps about. I mean, there there is a a positivity to him that I, I really like, and I love the fact that he unabashedly goes about doing that. And it's not that he's a brash guy; he just doesn't back down from the argument. Uh, he, he's 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 a very learned guy. I mean, he's an intellectual. He he really is in every sense of the word. Um, but is is is. In, in some ways, just hell-bent on being who he is. And I have watched him since that interview very closely. Not that I was trying to get some gotcha moment on him, but I've been waiting to say, even in a somewhat friendly, argumentative way, hey, you talked a lot of stuff about being who you are. You come over here and got pretty famous. I, uh... I saw you kind of waver a little bit here, and I'm going to tell you, I haven't even seen a thing. There's nothing I can even shape towards that. I'll tell you a, a funny fact about him. He uh, he really engages with the people that he knows. I mean, just the fact that, that I called him up and said, hey, I'd like for you to be on the show, and he, he jumped right to it as a testament to it. But when he came over here, he had a plan of where he wanted to go. He wanted to see L.A. and uh, some parts of California. And then he just left it up to his followers and said, hey, where should I go next? 
And uh, I know he went to Texas. I just missed him. Brent and I were out in Texas, and we missed him while he was out there. I know he spent some time in Atlanta, and I thought maybe I'd skirt over that way so I could meet him in person. And I I really kind of hate that I didn't do it. Um, And then he decided, well, gosh, I'm I'm over here. Everybody keeps telling me I need to go to Washington, D.C. I I think he went to Tennessee for a little bit, too. The guy put it out there to the Twitter universe and said, hey, can – can someone get me into the White House? I'd, I'd like to get in there. The guy got in there. There's some really cool pictures of him. I don't think he he met many people while he was there, but he he was able to get in and have like a little photo shoot in a couple of the offices. It's it's pretty neat. And and when you when you're someone who reaches out to folks and and you have that that mentality, I think good things do happen to you. And and he's a living testament of that. Uh, and I really love that. The second interview that I wanted to bring on for this year, the, the, the two best interviews I, I think I had this year, um, is a guy who, who does a lot of the same things, but from the other angle. Scott Johnson, to me, really is one of, he, 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 I'm sure he doesn't like to be called the godfather of podcasting. He doesn't see himself that way. Uh, if there was a Mount Rushmore for podcasts, Scott Johnson would be on it. Um, th- there's no doubt about it. He, he never wants to go and, and have any kind of glory like that. He's, he's not into it for it. But, but this guy was a pioneer. I mean, you'll hear in this interview how they were doing things before podcasting actually became a thing that was um, sharing, a media, sharing ideas on a medium that wasn't quite ready yet, that the internet wasn't really there for them to do it yet, and, and, and Scott was really finding uh, ways to do it. Uh, Scott is a very positive guy, and he has shows that are bright and are funny. Um, they, 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 they aren't as niched as I think some of the casual fans may think that they are. Uh, if you go to Scott's network, uh, the Frog Pants Network, there's something for everybody on it. And yes, I said that correctly. It is Frog Pants. It's hilarious. Um, but he he does uh, some great shows, and he's someone that uh, was the first voice I ever heard on a podcast. And this this past year, being able to do a show with him uh, was not only um, a lot of fun for me, but as kind of a, a fan of what he does, uh, really something that I had a big smile on my face about for, for a couple of days after. So um, anyway, here is my, uh, my interview with uh, Scott, and I will talk to you uh, right after this. Said to the king, he wears that cricket cap. Said to the king, a cold beer in his mouth. Said to the king, on his wooden throne, when you're the king, you're never alone. No one told me not to jump into that fire. No one told me not to play with chicken wire. No one told me not to drive into that lake for heaven's sake. Said to the king, he wears that cricket cap. With me today is a is a very special guest, somebody I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. Uh, as a matter of fact, the very first time I ever got a, a Macintosh computer, that's how old they were, there was something in iTunes that showed you could listen to podcasts. I had no idea what a podcast was. I went and downloaded one that I thought 
would kind of grab my interest. The very first voice I ever heard of her podcast is this man who's joining me today. Uh, is a very humble guy, and if he weren't so humble, he would admit that he is actually the godfather of podcasting as we know it. Mr. Scott Johnson from Frog Pants. Scott, how are you doing, man? Oh, my Lord. I'm good. I think that introduction is is uh wholly inaccurate uh as far as my my placement in the uh the pantheon of podcasters however i will take it as the compliment you meant it as and it also it's kind of cool when i hear from people who say that i was the first voice they heard uh and it and it's you know it should be it should feel like a high pressure situation like oh boy i better better be careful here what i say or whatever but but no I, I now have a, a I have a reputation for just letting it all hang out, and so I hope today during our time together, uh, you don't get to the end of it and go, "Man, I can't believe that's the jackass I heard for the first time." I, I absolutely hope that's what I'm going to. That is the expose I'm trying to have, Scott. So I, I we'll, we'll just see how it goes. So you, yeah, so you've been running. Um podcast for for quite a while now your um the first one i heard though by the way was um extra life radio how mm. how what was your i don't even know what was your very first podcast that you ever did well if you really go back uh and you kind of have to to get back to the original stuff but uh back in 1999 i started a show called uh let's see it was called infiltration radio at the time and it was specifically a show that dealt with this video game mod for Unreal Tournament called Infiltration. It was like this realistic kind of military mod. And back then, those just didn't exist. And today, we're, you know, the industry is rife with them. The Call of Duties of the world are everywhere. But at the time, this was kind of a new idea. It used the, the Unreal Tournament game and just was a modification for it. And I thought, man, it'd be cool to talk to some of the modders and the programmers that were working on that and like artists and stuff that were doing textures and gun models and all this. And I thought it would be really cool to bring them into kind of a radio format and talk to them. I had also during that time been doing some local radio stuff for an AM station. It was just kind of a weekend gig. I didn't get paid for it, but I'd go in there and do like a little computer call-in show and I would be their quote unquote expert for people who had put pop tarts in their floppies and things like that. <laughs> uh, so, so I was already kind of doing that. I'd always had this love for radio. I've been, running around with a tape recorder most of my childhood. So this, you know, felt like the thing to do. And I knew in 99, I could create these little MP3s. I could put them up on a website. People could download them. There was nothing quote unquote called podcasting. There was no such thing as iPods yet, which is where the name sprang. Um, it was just MP3s, which were only a couple of years old themselves, uh, on a website for people to download or stream uh, live over like a shoutcast server or something, which did exist then. Yeah. And so that's what I did. So as far back as then, I was doing interviews and talking to people and having long form content about that game and other stuff in the shooter uh, genres and and uh, did that for quite a while. And then technically Extra Life Radio started in 2003, again, pre-podcasting. About a year and a half later, it became a thing. RSS happened podcasting happened suddenly it was a thing and i knew i had to jump on it and that's kind of the history of it it was it goes way back for me you you obviously have a lot of successful shows now that some of them you started on the frog pants network some of them you you brought in um but uh there, there's no doubt that that uh the instance was the one that probably took everything off for you it was another one that was based around video games 
and, I, and I'm saying that for people that don't know what we're talking about with World of Warcraft, which is, I, I think, very few folks that listen to podcasting. But but you were able to kind of reach an audience, and it really kind of exploded. You go go back to the guy that you were talking to people that were using their you know their CD-ROM drives as cup holders and breaking them, and then suddenly you're on stage at Blizzard, which is the the largest video game extravaganza that's there, and you're brought on stage as an expert and the and and, and it's just from being a, a, a podcaster about their video game and you've had this incredible opportunity. It's not like you were a really good hunter or anything like that. Not saying that I know, but uh, yeah. I just I just watched yeah. your videos and stuff. But um, but what, what's that like? I mean, do, do you find do you kind of find yourself like stepping back and saying, oh, my God, like how in the hell did I get here? Well, it's interesting because. I never got into this for any of those kinds of opportunities. The original reason I started the instance in particular back in 2006 was I was struggling then, uh, again, a very early stage of podcasting, uh, iTunes. It was that year iTunes finally started supporting podcasting as an official thing. You started to see other players jump on board. Um, so it was definitely an upswing that year. And I thought, are there any shows that I could find or listen to that I would want to listen to as a fan of World of Warcraft. And sure enough, I went and looked and there were three or four that existed then. And I, no offense to any of them if they're still around, but I hated them. I thought they were bad. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't want to listen to this. I would rather, I want to talk to friends about this thing I love and I want to make my own. So that's what I did. And it was with no other intent other than I had some passion for it. ELR had been doing well for about a year and a half on, uh, you know, his official show as a podcast and was growing. And uh, I just thought this would be a cool uh, next step. And so I did that. And a week into it, we were suddenly being featured by Apple on iTunes, which did not see coming, had no expectation for that. Uh, we also hit, I think it was seven or 8,000 downloads that first week, which was unheard of at that stage. Because <clears throat> remember, podcasting wasn't anything like it is today. Yeah. You know, my the instance today will, you know, over a run of a week's episode will end up in the fifty to sixty thousand range, but at the time seven thousand was just this outrageous number, and uh, we couldn't couldn't believe it, <laughs> uh, and it just took off and went crazy. And so yeah, there was a there was a that was a big part of the early success for me. It certainly led to many other things, including me figuring out a way to jump ship and do this full time and and uh, leave at the time my full-time job, which I'd had for quite a while. And uh, yeah, like the idea of going from that in 2006 to this year or this uh, last year standing on stage and, and moderating the Q&A panel for the World of Warcraft dev team, that's a big jump. Uh, but it also took a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing is, I don't, I'm not one to go after that stuff. I'm not really much, I'm not one of those guys that likes to toot his own horn much I don't it's just not interesting to me and I feel I know I'm always surprised when other people think it's interesting so getting on stage and doing that sort of thing I'm I feel natural doing it it's not a problem for me but it's never like a big ego trip for me in fact I kind of feel the opposite I feel like it's a huge honor it's incredibly humbling uh I don't even know why they chose me but if they did I'm going to do the best job I can and after having a couple of these opportunities in the last few years, it's it's um, you know turned into a really great relationship with Blizzard. Uh, you know they've always been really kind to me and and uh, have have been really thoughtful about whatever my role is on the in the community and and I've tried to you know show that in return and be a good steward of 
of, uh, of the opportunities they give me. And it, it feels pretty good. But yeah, I guess to answer your question simply, no, I, I didn't expect any of that. I kind of thought my show would just be a fun thing for me and a dozen of my friends. And I didn't think of it as much more than that. It's, uh, it's funny. You talk about those other shows that are still around. I mean, I, I didn't bring you on here so you could crap on Zug and Coltrane and the other guys that convert to raid there scott but that's well that's remember, okay remember if you, you got to remember those guys came late they they were uh and this is to their credit but they they started as members of our guild and listeners of the instance and they came they came out of that i want to say they their show didn't start till like 09 10 or something uh so they so they came late or they were later and they and they claimed the instance as being the place where it all started to happen they split off from there and went and started their own thing and they've done an awesome job. I love their community's great. And we tend to we actually tend to share a lot of folks uh, across those two communities. They sort of inhabit both. But um, yeah, they make a great show. I I don't I, they would not have been in the group I would have called a bad show had they been around in, in 2006. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured I knew there was a connection there. I actually didn't know they were part of AIE. I, I didn't know that. But that's. Oh, uh, yeah, there was a lot of. In fact, at the time, there was a ton of drama about them. Uh, starting their own thing and at the time i was like why is there drama about this you guys it's no big deal <laughs> we inspired a cool thing and they ran off and did their own thing and zero drama it's all good so you you kind of split off i mean you, you a lot of your shows are still video game heavy a lot of what you see over at frog pants but it does split off into a, a couple of different areas one of the shows that i still contend is is probably the most underrated show on, on all of podcasting is film sack. I'm, I'm surprised every week with that show, what I learn, how much I laugh and how much I enjoy it. Brian Ibbett was on um, the show here a couple months back and, and I asked him this and I, I, I know you didn't listen to the show cause you don't listen to my stuff, but I want to, I wanted to throw this same question out to you. How in the world do you guys take those four big personalities that do that show and have it seem like so well constructed. Like I don't under, do y'all use hand signals? Is there a video? Like how do you keep from talking all over each other? <laughs> um, that's a great question. I think it's a combination of things. Um, I mean, people hear the show for the first time now. What they're hearing is a pretty well-oiled machine that we've worked on for. You know, that show started in 2009. <laughs> Even that show predates. Uh, Oh my gosh! That's, I can't just realize that's ten years old. This yeah, October. that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. That shows that old. But uh, yeah, they—it's a combination of things. One is we're a pretty well-oiled machine right now, and we kind of understand each other and know each other's cues, and I don't know, we just are comfortable doing a show together in such a way that it works that way. But also, I think a big part of it is, for good or for ill, I was either born with this or I acquired it over time. But I've gotten good. And I've always kind of been good at knowing when to shut up, knowing when to talk. One of the things I, I love about that show is uh, all the things that you that you can learn from it. I mean, the perspective that you guys have. I mean, sometimes there's stuff that I, I disagree with, like, uh, I don't know, Spielberg being an overrated director or I don't, Minority Report being a good movie. I, it, but other than that, like it's a it's a really fun show that I learn a lot from. For the longest time, I thought you guys like worked in the movie industry or had some dealing with it. How did you how did you guys come across this vast knowledge? Is it really just from being an enthusiast? Yeah, it's just fandom. Um, none of us none of us come from any kind of filmmaking background or any of that. We're just fans. I mean, the original idea of the show at the time was simply, hey, Netflix has a lot of you know, crap on there as long as well as good stuff. But back in the early days of Netflix, like back in 09, 10 years ago, 
Netflix was all about, you know, licensed films. They weren't really doing their own stuff yet. And um, it seemed like an opportunity to dig back into what we loved about movies when we were growing up in the 80s and early 90s, what we liked about uh, schlocky old stuff even before our time, why movies are made the way they're made. Sometimes a, a good movie will get into the list and we'll talk about it. Uh, sometimes it's nothing but garbage for weeks on end, but but there's still something worth talking about or making fun of or laughing about. And, um, yeah, we just found our rhythm there. It just, it, it, it turns out we all feel strongly enough about that kind of entertainment that it just naturally made a good show. And I'm really proud of film sex. Film sex, one of those shows that we, you know, normally four voices in a room, uh, I guess is it four of us total? Yeah. Four voices in a room can get a little hairy. Uh, we don't really have that problem. Uh, we don't have any kind of weird infighting. We, we, we all respect and get along with each other. Like there's just a, a lot of little barriers a lot of shows have to deal with that we just haven't had to. Yeah, it's, it is amazing to me that you guys – I mean, I don't – you know, like over at Night Attack, you know, Brian and Justin barely get through talking all over each other, and there's only two of them. I don't know how you guys do that on <laughs> Film Second. I think it's – Yeah, I think it's, part of it is I just have this habit of uh, – even on, you know, we're using Skype or something else, I get a sense for when – something's going to about to go to somebody else. And I shut up. It's, it's actually kind of a skill that I, that I, for whatever reason it comes naturally to me, but I think people should work on it. Um, especially when it comes to podcasting and when there's latency involved, you get better at knowing when to stop talking, when to let the other side go. And frankly, when to interrupt when it, when it's actually sensible to interrupt. I think these are skills that can be used kind of across multiple kinds of careers as well. Not just podcasting. I think it's good for all sorts of Thing sitting in a business meeting uh, or something as you know mundane as doing a quick show with a friend, learning how to do that is is a great strength and we and we've got that in spades on FilmSec. We've just yeah. figured that out and we don't have to. We never edit. There's never a single edit in that show. Really? Oh yeah. Record top to bottom, zero editing. None. Even with Brian Dunaway, you never yep. have to edit that show. Never once. I'm Not surprised. Once. Yep. It's one of the reasons I do so many shows is I kind of pride myself on a non a completely non-edited experience and it flows well people think we edit or you know tweak and add later and we just don't wow um, so again it's something i'm something i'm proud of and, and i hope we continue to be able to be good at that certainly hasn't been perfect every time always there's been shows i've been on where you know maybe it didn't go as well as usual or something but for the most part i'm you know it's it's, it's something I, I feel a lot of pride in that Speaking of the personalities that you have on your shows, there's 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 no doubt that there is an incredible chemistry between you and Brian Ibbett, and and it's 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 on display every day with the morning stream. That that show, when you decided to do that, decided I'm going to do a, a a four day a week daily show. Did you have mm -hmm. any idea it would take off? Not only to where it is today, but as quickly as it did. No, I mean, I knew we would we would have a lot of fan crossover from other projects and that people would get excited about what I had planned. But I have, since the dawn of time, really wanted to have my own talk show, my own morning show. I hate normal morning shows. I think they're terrible. Kind of that Bob and Tom kind of yeah. sound effectsy, you know, spend half the day doing terrible uh, phone pranks. I hate that stuff. It just sucks. And because I'm not a fan of that particular um, brand, let's call it of that sort of thing. I just thought, well, I want to do my own thing and I want to have my own sound and I want it to be, but I, again, like the instance, I wanted to make a thing I would want 
a thing I would want to listen to. And that's what I ended up making with the, with TMS. And I didn't know it would take off. I just knew I wanted to do it. Um, the choice to have Brian as my co-host was based on our experiences thus far with film sack. I knew it was a good match. Um, I knew that that would be a good combo. I didn't know why I knew that. I just did. Yeah. And, um, I think I was right about that. And, and, you know, here we are, gosh, that was 2011. So Jeez. sure. Yeah. That's that time's going real fast too. Yeah. Was it seven, eight years or something? Um, it's, it's been uh, amazing and the show's done nothing but grow and, and continue to thrive and find new, new listeners. And, um, but it, but it stayed very true to what it was originally designed as, which is this fun, open, very honest kind of conversational morning show. And, and it was, uh, you know, I, if there's anything I'm you know most proud of in the podcasting stuff that I've done, it's probably that because it's a lot of fricking work. People don't realize like, I mean, some, I'm sure some people realize, but it is a ton of freaking work every day to kind of just keep that going, to find our rhythm, to stay in that zone. Um, not again, no editing. It's all live. It's all done straight to hard drive. And even if there's a mistake, I push the wrong button. I keep it in. <laughs> like, <laughs> the only editing I do now is Twitch doesn't like uh, the music Brian brings, even though he has yeah. full right to play it, um, yeah. even though that's true. Uh, I still don't edit, <laughs> except for the music. <laughs> and at the end of the show, I'll put music in. Yeah, that that was one of the things that Brian and I talked about. Is we, we the the internet community has got to get that part figured out. I I don't know why that's such a pain for everybody. Oh um, uh, yeah, he has to deal with it much more than me. But at sure. least the podcasting, the audio ver uh, kind of podcasting thing has stayed relatively easy. If you're if you're doing legal stuff, you can do it. Yeah. It's just these video streaming services or YouTube in particular, they just have no tolerance for anything, whether or not they just don't have a way to go. Well, let's make sure this is legal because Brian has all the rights. He pays for it every year. We just don't have a way to tell YouTube that. So they just auto ban everything. And it's super frustrating. But yeah, I, I didn't bring it up with Brian, but my the band that I play in, we put some videos up on YouTube and they took them down and we're like, that that's our music. Like what, yep. what's going on? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, that happens a lot. Like we've got music I've had custom made for shows and it gets pulled because it's like, ah, this is somebody else's music. Oh, geez. And it turns out somebody did a takedown. It wasn't YouTube saying it. Some other groups like that's our music. And I'm like, well, why are they, why do you take their word for it? And not mine. Like right. it's the thing. I don't, I don't get it, but when I, I agree with you one day, they'll figure this out. They need to, um, it's getting to be super weird. And I look forward to it. <laughs> one, one of the uh, one of the uh, things that I think I'm most impressed with about the Frog Pants community is the actual community itself. The, the followers send, like tend to have like a, a connection with you that I don't see in other podcast communities. I mean, Diamond Club, I think, probably comes close to what I've seen. Um, mm -hmm. But it's the interaction that you guys have. I mean, there there are people that call. Um, there are people that are kind of regulars that that aren't actually a personality that's on any of the show, and you guys are able to interact with them in that way. It it, it reminds me a little bit. I think it's I, I don't think it's ironic at all that you, you a lot of the show came from a a, a a large podcast you had about World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft tended to have that communal aspect to it as well that brought all of us 
together in it. And it looks like you've been able to take that and bring that to the podcast community with what you've done in Frog Pants. Was that something that was completely natural? Or did you have to sit around and say, well, what can I do to, to, to create a better interaction with listeners? How, how did it happen that you've got like the tadpole? Like, how, how, it's not just you put up a chat realm on your, on, on your show. I mean, there, there has to be a large group of people that want to interact with you. How did you, how did you allow for that to happen? Well, for me, uh, a lot of it came whether I wanted to or not, but I think a lot of it came from my earlier work. Um, you know, I, we talk about podcasting all the time, but my my comic work and my illustration stuff, which is like literally 50 percent of my business, uh, already was uh, was already kind of in the world of creating communities. We had very active forums. We had a very active fan base who would always look forward to the new comics and the new art I would put up and while, you know, much smaller and, and would, you know, not nearly the kind of the reaction I got from the podcast, that was already kind of in place. And so a lot of people you'd ask and say, well, how'd you hear about the shows? Oh, I've been following Scott since his first extra life strip back in 2001. Like you hear that a lot. Yeah. So I think there are people that are still part of the community and loyal from those days. Um, but what I've learned over time is despite those little head starts and knowing that kind of going into it, uh, Tom Merritt once said a very prescient thing that I've never forgotten. I don't know if you've had him on before. You should have him on if you haven't. Um, but Tom Merritt said to me, we get the chat room we deserve. Huh. And I never forgot that. And I think it's absolutely true. Uh, there are plenty of like very negative, cranky voices on the internet who get lots of hits and lots of streams and lots of audience and downloads on whatever and YouTube coverage or whatever that – uh, that get that just from the pure negativity of it all. But in the end, it's not actually, you know, I'm not trying to call anybody out in particular here, but it's not actually a following. It's more of a, I don't know, it's, it's all just angry and, and people are pissed and they, they're not really there for, to support you or for you to support them. They're just there to be cranky and, <laughs> and say, yeah, I agree with this guy, but the minute he goes a different way, they're going to turn on him. It's a very temporary kind of, yeah. Internet fame. Yeah. And my experience has been if you create a place where people play, uh, feel safe, where they feel acknowledged, understood, um, where I'm honest about who I am and what I'm saying, like they don't – a lot of people are like, well, what's he really like? Well, no, this is me. Like what you hear on TMS, what you hear on The Instance, that's me talking. And there's no difference. If there's something you see about me that you think is quirky and weird, it's because it is. And if you see something about it that you don't like, it's because that's who I am and I'm probably not going to change. Uh, so my point is like that honesty is not only felt by the listener and by the follower and the reader, it's I think demanded by them if you want to have them build a relationship with you. And even though this relationships may be different than the personal ones you have with your family or wife or your, you know, your, your friends or whatever – it's not really that different. There needs to be trust. There needs to be a sense of um, course correction. If I say something dumb and realize I was wrong, I make a point of owning up to it as fast as I can and as openly and as in public as I can. And it happens a lot problem with it. I'm a fallible, you know, idiot sometimes. There's no question about it. And I think that that's like family, like, your parents were often wrong. Sometimes they were right. Sometimes it's you admitting your parents were right. Sometimes it's them admitting 
that they were too hard on you. Like whatever, whatever that relationship is, people want that. That's, that's what they want in life. And so do I, it turns out. So providing that in a safe environment and providing a place for people to have that kind of voice, I think is everything. Um, and it's not anything, I feel like I'm just doing that because that's how I was raised, but it, but a lot of this is the community, you know, deciding that that's for them. And then they bring their own talents, their own thoughts, their own special set of, uh, uh, you know, of who they are to the, to the mix. And then the community just keeps growing based on that. I don't take credit for it. I think the community itself is amazing and we just keep kind of growing on it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little disappointed to hear that you are the person that's on the shows. I was actually kind of hoping you'd be a little bit better, but that's, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll just take whatever we can. Um, yeah. Take what you can while you can. I um I have a I have a question that I've always thought ever since I've listened to you for a long time. It's it's something that you I don't think you really bring up that much. Um, but I've always said if I could sit around and have a drink with Scott, I'd want to ask him about this. Well, you don't drink, and I don't live in Utah, so that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> but I want to ask you this anyway. Um, I find it I, I find it really there's something um endearing about the fact that your dad. Uh, owned arcades and operated uh, arcades. It was something that was a big part of my growing up. Um, it, it obviously comes through with with what you you've done. And I, and I know and I don't I don't want to focus too much on the instance or anything like that. But obviously that was a major part in bringing other people into what you know extra life was all about and what the other shows and frog pants were all about. I, I, there's no way that the irony can be lost on you. I'm, I'm sure like you're, I, I, I wonder sometimes like how cool your dad would think it was that the two of you found a way to touch people in the community and bring them together. And it, and it happened through video games. What do you think your dad would think about all this stuff? If he could see it now? Oh, he'd love it. Um, I mean, sadly he died way too young. He died at 63 and, uh, that was way back in 2000. And by then, I, you know, I'd barely started to scratch the surface of what was going to be possible for this new brave thing I wanted to do. Yeah. So uh, in a lot of ways, I feel kind of robbed by uh, by time and be, and by the circumstance there. But if he was here, I think he'd be thrilled about it. Like video games became a huge part of my life because he ran all these arcades and our house was always full of these machines but more than that, he was he was really good at showing me or helping me understand um, that there's more to it than just the games, that it's not just about people, but it's about the broader picture. It's why on my shows I tend to not focus on little, you know, tiny details in games. It's not about min-maxing or, or looking at what the meta of a game is. It's more about the broader sp- scope and the business itself and the industry implications and you know, a game like Fortnite disrupting everything. What does that actually mean? When does that happen before? Has it ever happened before? Like that stuff's fascinating to me. And it all came from that time. And uh, I think he'd be thrilled to see that it turned into something uh, like this. I mean, basically, you know, my parents are the only ones that really could tell you what I was like when I was eight years old. And when I was eight years old, all I wanted to do was draw and record stuff on a tape recorder. (laughs) And I wish he could see that that's exactly what I'm doing. Like I'm literally, <laughs> literally doing my eight year old dreams, uh, later in life and accomplishing all the others I wanted to like my mature dreams of raising a family and having great kids and, 
you know, having a, a, a long and wonderful relationship with my wife, which, you know, it's 26 years now. It's crazy. Wow. wow um, and no looking back, like all of that stuff I would love to share with him if I could, cause I think he would, uh, I don't know. It's not so much. I, he was always proud of me, so I never felt like that was missing. Sure. But I think he would be just tickled that it went this way. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, well, Scott, there's a, about an hour and a half worth of questions I still want to ask you, but I, I'm, I'm going to shelve those for maybe a, a, the day that you bring Nerdtacular back and, and Brian and I actually create the nerd bus and take it up there from South Carolina. But um, there is one thing that I wanted to do, though, that I've always wanted to do. And no offense to the current instance group now, but my favorite segment of, of the instance was always at the end when you and Randy would do rapid fire questions. So, Scott Johnson, are you sitting comfortably in your chair? I am so sitting comfortably. It's ridiculous. All right. Here comes five very easy softball questions. And don't worry, I have the correct answers in case you get them wrong. Number one, what is your favorite video game of all time? Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh, ah, that's hard. Um, probably the Diablo series, but I'd say Mario 64 would be really up there. That is. That is incorrect. The answer is Super Mario Bros, as long as someone pronounces it bros. Number two, uh, what gosh. is the most annoying thing about telling people you do podcasts for a living? Uh, them looking at me and going, I don't know what that is. Is that in my car? Like, they don't know. That is incorrect. The answer is hearing them call them pods. Uh, <laughs> you have to go to a beautiful island. You can only take one family member. Who do you take? Uh, oh, uh, the, the new baby. Faults, it is ding pong. The president <laughs> dies. There's a decree that you must choose his successor and the vice president from all the frog pants related personalities. Who do you choose as president and vice president? Uh President Tom Merritt, Vice President. Uh ooh, um ooh, uh, Dunaway. Let's give it to Dunaway. Incorrect. It is Tom Merritt and Tom Merritt's clone as vice president. And what is the official mascot of Frog Pants? Uh, uh is it, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's a three-part question. What is the official part? <laughs> let me try this again. What is the official mascot of the Frog Pants media? One, Henry. Two, Chester Cheetah. Three, the turtles that live in Brian's butt. Uh, Chester Cheetah. No, it is Teddy the Tender Crisp Bacon Cheddar Ranch Sandwich. But I appreciate you playing anyway, Scott. It is very nice of you to try. Yeah, I got close on that Tom Merritt president one. I, I see. I was like, if he says Tom Merritt's clone, I'm going to flip out. I've got it written right here. I was going to shoot you the picture to know that I actually did come up with that. That's awesome. Scott, listen, I have enjoyed your stuff uh, for years. Uh, I'll definitely make sure that I'm pointing everybody towards you. If someone who is listening to my show has never heard of Frog Pants before, where would you tell them to point to to find out more about all the different things that you do and uh, find something that may suit their fancy? Well, uh, frogpants.com is uh, where it all happens and is located if they are interested in such a thing. Um, all the shows I do, all the comics and art and all that they can find there. It's pretty much a central hub for everything. Uh, if they want to go past that and really hear what my daily brain sounds like, they can check me out on Twitter at Scott Johnson as well. Cool. Well, Scott, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedule that you got doing 45 other shows. It seems like a day. Um, but thanks so much for coming on, man. It, it really means a lot to me. You, you really were, um, kind of a, kind of a cool voice for me to stumble upon, um, just because of what I always wanted to do with, with radio when I was a kid. 
and a big inspiration to me to actually even do this. So uh, it, it means a lot to have you on the show, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. It is a joy to talk to you. A lot more of a joy than I thought because I, I kind of figured you'd be that jerk that uh, I was expecting. <laughs> You're wrong. I'm not that <laughs> jerk, it turns out. Uh, no, dude, my, my pleasure. I know it took us a while to get here, but I'm glad that we uh, we finally made it happen. So thanks for being so patient with me. All right. Thanks, man. And I uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Heck yeah. Two of my favorite interviews that I've ever done. <clears throat> the one with Scott, though, I got, I got, I got to admit something. I think I told this story on the show uh, that I did that one. It was, it was a funny thing. I, I've talked now for years for doing a show with Scott, but he, he's, he's incredibly busy. I'm busy. We just never been able to, to match it up. Well, we finally found this small window that we could do the show, and so I was at home. I go into the studio to get everything ready, and. Everything in the studio goes out. All the power goes out. It's all completely out. So I grab my computer, my mixer, my mics, and I am running into the house and setting things up, cords going everywhere, just to try to make sure that I'm able to talk to Scott. I had like a five-minute window to do it. And um, it was absolutely crazy. So if you could – there's a couple of sound – problems in there but it was like one of those things where i get into the interview and uh, like it had been hell for just a whirlwind so i was not prepared really to start uh but it was easy to do the the show with scott for two reasons number one i've been wanting to ask him those questions for so long um and i could have seriously asked him about an hour's worth more and then number two scott's such a nice guy and he's very easy to talk to and it just goes to show uh with both of these guys uh something that i wanted to bring up it's come to my attention uh, over the past few months as I've listened to some of the shows and I've gone back and gone through them and, and wanted to see what what it is exactly that I wanted to do with the show moving forward. I'm not talking about making any great changes, mind you. But this past year has been built a lot on self-reflection, um, and I've gotten a lot of compliments for that, and I appreciate it. But one of the things that I really want to do is make sure that we're always moving forward in a very positive way. What I think is very special about both of these guys that I talked to this year is both of them have a sense of understanding the community around them. And, and by that, I mean their internet community. I say a lot of times that we worry about stuff that's without that's, that's outside of our reach. And we really need to make sure that we're looking at what's in our reach. The things that are in our neighborhood, our schools in our neighborhood, our churches, our communities, our neighbors. And I still mean that. And I think that's something that, that as we've gotten more global that we've, we've lost touch with. But at the same time, we can't forget that our reach can go a lot further. As I said at the top of the show, I'm, I'm, I feel very blessed to have not put out, I don't want to say that I put out bad product this year. I think I put out very good stuff, but uh, very good stuff. Listen, to that. that's, that's a professional podcaster right there. I think I've put out some pretty good stuff this year. I just haven't put out a lot of it. But what, I'm, what I feel so overwhelmed with is a feeling that there are so many people that still keep coming back and want to be a part of this. So like the two gentlemen that, that before me on the show here, one of the things that I really want to do is reach out a little bit more. Over the next few days and weeks, you may get a message from me. You may be someone that I've only interacted through emails on this show. I want to talk to you. 
You may have someone that you think would be great to be on the show. I want to hear about them. If you follow us on Facebook on Local Bar Media, you can send a message there. If you want to send it to chat at localbarmedia.com, you're more than welcome to do that as well. But I'd love to hear from you. More than anything, I hope that you've learned from both of these guys that there is something in being positive and being a good person. Maybe we don't all agree on the same things and maybe we don't see things eye to eye and maybe we've got different values and different ideas, but, but human decency and treating your neighbor and the people around you with respect and dignity is something that I want us to get back to this year. Both of these gentlemen exude it just by their actions and being who they are. One of them probably sees it more than the other one, but they both do it because it's natural to both of them. We need to make that a natural reaction again. We need to make that, that kindness be something that's second nature. I hope that within the next year, you're able to see that from the show. And I hope that you do it as well. From all of us here at Local Bar Media, thank you so much for a wonderful 2019. And I appreciate you still being there with us this year in 2020 which is the same distance away from 1990 that it is for 2050. That, that's just weird to me. Anyway, happy new year to you. Here's to you. And we'll talk to you soon. Until then, take care. Thanks for stopping by the bar. We've picked up your tab. But if you'd like to leave the best bartenders you know a tip, head over to patreon.com forward slash local bar and support the show. Any support is greatly appreciated. If you'd like to drop us a line, send your emails to chad at localbarmedia.com. Thanks for coming in. See you next week. This podcast is part of a local bar media. For this and other shows, visit localbarmedia.com.